0: Listen to Words of Life on your favorite podcast store or visit wordsoflifepodcast.org. Today's Bible verse is Hebrews 6, 9. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. Over the centuries, numerous scholars have fiercely debated the passage surrounding today's verse. These words, written by an unknown writer, have also caused exponentially more Christians to live in fear rather than the confident assurance Christ longs for them to experience. And maybe Hebrews' discussion of falling away beyond any chance of repentance has evoked a sense of panic in you as well. If so, I hope today's discussion will bring a sense of peace to your anxious heart. Let me begin by reading this passage from Hebrews 6, verse 1 to the end of verse 9. Scripture states, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. Instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance, to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace." Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. Now, this chapter begins with the word, therefore, indicating the author is continuing with a previous point or argument. In this case, he's building upon his discussion regarding Jesus being superior to angels, superior to Moses, the man through whom the Old Testament law came, and superior to the old covenant sacrificial system, where priests had to make atonement for his and his people's sins again and again, year after year and century after century. Understanding this, then, one must ask why. Why did the author of Hebrews feel so compelled to so thoroughly discuss for five chapters Jesus' superiority? And how does chapter six continue this? Well, before we can determine that, we need to first understand the historical and cultural context. Scholars believe the letter that became the biblical book we now call Hebrews was written sometime between 64 and 69 AD, during the time of Nero, a cruel leader who brutally persecuted Christians. The author of Hebrews was writing to Jewish Christians who, fearing for their lives during this terrifying and chaotic time, were tempted to return to the less offensive tenets of Judaism. They wanted to hold on to those aspects of Christianity shared with Judaism but not the aspects that were distinctly Christian. You can probably understand why these frightened Christians, former Jews, felt so tempted to return to their old ways, and how they may have justified to themselves and potentially to one another doing so. After all, the two religions did indeed share the same foundation. Both believed in one creator God, agreed that he was holy, righteous, faithful, long-suffering, and loving, they also understood that there was a proper and improper way to approach this holy God. And in the Old Testament, the proper way was through the priests and the sacrificial system, a system designed to point to Jesus and the sacrifice he would pay for all mankind. As he had said previously in Matthew 5, verse 17, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Indicating that the law and the prophets began that which Christ completed. And so it had. In a world filled with pagan idolatry, the law and the prophets had revealed the one true God, his character, power, and authority. It had revealed the sinfulness of man and the reality of all that sin costs us, including complete separation from God. Therefore, the law was good for a time, but Jesus was infinitely better, because he came to do what the law never could, pay the penalty for our sins once and for all, and reconcile us to the Father. To turn back to Judaism and the law and its animal sacrifices was, in essence, crucifying Christ all over again. It was turning their back on the all-sufficient work of Christ, the immeasurable gift he had given, and turning to something inferior and incomplete. The Hebrews needed to understand salvation came through Christ and Christ alone. They knew this. They had been enlightened, meaning they knew and comprehended the truth, and presumably had even agreed that God's truth, as revealed in the Gospels and through Christ, was indeed true. They had tasted the heavenly gift, which likely referred to the gift of salvation. They had experienced, at least to some extent, the work of the Holy Spirit, but were considering rejecting those things— for what felt comfortable, socially acceptable, and safe. Therefore, it's not that God wouldn't accept true repentance, which involved not just a change in behavior, but turning to Christ, the one who could change them from within. Instead, they had chosen against this, against Christ. And because of this, because they had already experienced all the ways God normally brings a person to saving faith, if they rejected Christ, there was no other way to bring them back. There was no other way for which God's truth to penetrate their soul. For those who reverted to Judaism, truth, the Holy Spirit, and even experiencing God's heavenly gift had proven ineffectual. Confirming this passage in Hebrews refers not to the falling into sin, but rather to apostasy. Bible scholar Craig S. Keener wrote, the point here is not that God does not accept the repentant, but that some hearts become too hard to consider repenting because they refuse to acknowledge Christ, the only means of repentance. Wayne Grudem, author of Bible Doctrine, suggests that Hebrews 6, verses 4 to 6 holds the same meaning as Matthew 12, verses 31 to 32, and Mark 3, verses 29. He writes that those scripture passages refer to, quote, willful rejection of the work of the Holy Spirit, or, quote, willful rejection of the truth of Christ. He adds, in such a case, the hardness of heart would be so great that any ordinary means of bringing a sinner to repentance would already have been rejected. In such a case, persuasion of would not work for the people have already tasted the truth and have rejected it. Now this view is consistent with Jesus' words in John six verse thirty seven when he said, "Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away as numerous Bible commentators affirm those who fear this passage applies to them, by their very fear, prove that it doesn't. Today, I want to especially encourage those of you listening who tend to doubt your salvation. We all experience doubt, but it's how we handle our doubts, or rather who we turn to in those moments that lead to peace or soul-deep angst. The next time you begin to feel as if you've somehow negated God's love or grace, hit pause and stop that peace-destroying thought before it goes any further. Turn to God in prayer. Ask him to take your doubts and to replace them with truth. Let's pray. Holy Father, thank you for sending your son to take our sins upon himself and to die in our place. We are so thankful for the son of God present in our lives who changes us from the inside so that our actions begin to look different, so that our hearts are changed. Lord, protect us from doubt. Help us to turn our doubts to you. Thank you that you hold us secure in the palm of your hands. Thank you that you pursue us. You have always pursued us and you will always pursue us. You have fought for us in the past and you continue to fight for us today. It's in the name of your son, our savior, we pray. Amen. Your Daily Bible Verse is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media.